I'm Jesse Lubinsky, host of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My EdTech Life on this beautiful Thursday. Yes, it is a Thursday show. I know it's a little bit different. Usually we're on on Wednesdays, but we are here on Thursday. We are live, and thank you so much for joining us today, as today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest who is here, and definitely I'm really excited to speak with my friend Micah Shippey, Who's joining us here this uh, this uh, or this evening? I should say, Micah. How are you doing today? I'm good. I, I woke up this morning on Earth Day to three inches of snow up here in Syracuse, New York. So despite <laughs> the weather, I'm doing great. Thanks. Perfect. And thank you so much to all our audience members that you're joining us from everywhere. I see Gerardo's here. He's joining us from Campeche, Mexico. So thank you always to Gerardo for being a great supporter of the show. So, Micah, yeah. So what's that all about? I mean, we're we're in April 22nd and you've got some snow. Wow. That's that's that's, uh, that's Syracuse. Uh, it'll be 60 or 70 one day and we'll get snow the next day. But, uh, you know, it's home. Um, we have four distinct seasons, and um, uh, they remind us of that every uh, every fourth quarter. So we're feeling it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's like, not here in Texas. Texas, it's just pretty much kind of like uh, maybe I think it's just two seasons, and uh, you know, for the most part, it's just really hot for the for the most part. But it's been a nice, cool, cool day today. So you know, I definitely enjoyed the day today. But again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited that you are here. You know, it's a been a, a longtime follower of your work and everything that you do. And of course, um, I like I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I really, you know, talk you up a lot as far as being a just a great help and great supporter and a great mentor during the Google Innovator Project or, you know, so that also as well. So really excited to have you here share about the amazing things, your the work that you're doing, of course, with Ready Learner One. We're going to learn a little bit more about Changemaker also that I'm really excited about. And of course, you're an author. You, I mean, pretty much you wear many hats, Micah. So I'm really excited for our audience members to know and our listeners, you know, to just hear and get to know you a little bit more, Micah. So uh, just let's start off just by letting us know a little bit about your background, your your current context in education. Yeah, sure. Uh, again, thanks, Fonz, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, I tell you, we, we live or we work in a in a pay it forward uh, profession and all, uh, my whole career pre social media because I'm old. Um, it was pay it forward with all the people in my local area, my my professional local community, as opposed to my network, which is so much uh, broader now. So um, I'm, I love paying it forward and I, and I know it's cyclical and we're all going to help each other do a better job at, at all that we do in this beloved field of ours. I'm, uh, I'm two decades in, 21 years teaching middle school social studies, um, coached soccer and basketball at, the le at that level for many years. Um, I earned my PhD several years ago from Syracuse University, focusing on instructional design development and evaluation, really um, honing my skills in the uh, area of bridging the gap between learner and content using emergent technologies. Um, it's, it's been amazing. The, um, the Google Innovator Academy was a, a catalyst for further growth beyond that, um, that has led to more and more opportunities. It's been great. Oh man, that is so wonderful to hear. So again, just, uh, you know, hearing a little bit about what you've done 20 years in, I mean, I'm sure in those 20 years, you've seen some great, great changes from where you first started to what you are seeing now. So, I mean, how has that, you know, from going from what you what you first knew to what you know now, you know, what are some of the things there that have motivated you to really just talk about, you know, as we lead into talking about Ready Learner One and what you're doing, you know, that that sense of innovation, that learning, that, you know, just continuing to grow. How did you first become passionate about, you know, your, this field in education? 
Well, I mean, storytelling is a, an old chippy family trait. So I always love storytelling and, you know, being a history teacher, that was a, uh, that synced with how I was wired, being very qualitative. My PhD is qualitative, not quantitative. It's, it's about story. It's about the human experience. Um, what I learned, however, quickly as a teacher is that it's not all about me, it turns out. So my, my focus as I matured as an educator uh, ha is on my learners and watching their light bulb moments, I found um, to be inspiring. And so I really wanted to um, drill down into what was it exactly that they were getting excited about. Frankly, sometimes it's the stories, but it's not every time. Uh, it seems that tools were a catalyst for their enthusiasm. Um, and so a lot of my um, work in ed tech just kind of accelerated uh, as a result of seeing uh, learners uh, grasp contents and increase motivation as a result of using those tools. Nice. Well, I really like that aspect that you say, you know, the storytelling, that storytelling aspect is definitely very important. And then when you bring that in with a mix of tools that can help you amplify that story even more and then engage students to create their own stories or share their own stories, I think that's something that's great as oftentimes we hear and of course, you know, through Twitter and a lot of educators, a lot of proponents of uh, allowing students to amplify their voice. And I think that that is something that that is great, that is definitely critical. And it's a great learning experience, not only for yourself, like you said, that I think, uh, you know, because my next question was, it was, uh, what uh, what do you wish you had known when you first started out? But I think you kind of hit it in a sense when you said, it's, it's not all about me, you know, as a, as a teacher is what I'm doing, but it's about the students and even learning from them as well. So I think that that's something that is wonderful. So yeah, kudos to that. Now, what are some ways just to talk a little bit just about your classroom experience and leading up into that, uh, into what we're going to be uh, talking about, you know, what were some of your favorite activities? If you can share maybe a, a special moment or maybe even this, what do you wish you knew when you first started out? Well, you know, we're trained as teachers and and still very classical industrial revolution pedagogy. Um, very, very much the factory manager, the teacher keeps the factory workers, the students in lines, in rows and dismisses by a bell, at least many of our schools. And so understanding that those pedagogical traits uh, can be something to build off of, they're not the end all be all. Um, the guide on the side uh, is very powerful because it, it uh, perpetuates a relationship first approach to teaching. Um, and I think that's very relevant for us, not only as educators, uh, with our students, but also with each other as educators trying to professionally grow our, our network and each other uh, through sharing and paying it forward. So I, I wish I had more quickly realized um, uh, uh, the power of putting students first and giving them voice and choice in the classroom. Oh man, that is so cool. And, and I love the way that you said that you described, you know, I never really dawned on me that, you know, being 11 years in the classroom, you know, the way that you said, as far as dismissing by a bell, you know, you've got students in rows and, you know, so on. It was at least not in my classrooms for the most part, as I was talking with a guest on Saturday where it's like, hey, my classroom, it was like everybody was standing up, everybody was creating, everybody was moving around. But for the most part, you know, you do see a lot of that, you know, traditional kind of setup where it's the, the guide or the sage on the stage yes. instead of the guide on the side. And of course, there, there's room or all of that too as well. I mean, there's times where, you know, as a teacher, you have to be in the front and explaining, but you also have to allow the students to practice that which you are teaching and actually see, you know, are they understanding? Because that can also gauge me. And that's one thing that I learned. It took me a while to learn because uh, as you know, or maybe not know, but I tell everybody, I didn't come from a traditional, you know, uh, college of education. I, I, I was marketing, it was customer service. So I looked at it a little bit different, but still it, it took me a while to hone in that practice and learning from others, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of other educators that were out there. And really, once you allow the students to, like you said, you know, and amplify their voice, work, 
you as a teacher can really see, it's like, okay, did what I say come through correctly? Right. Were there any misconceptions? Maybe I need to go back and I need to review. So, you know, those are something that, that's one thing that I liked and I wish, you know, for myself and going along with you that somebody would have told me that a lot sooner when I first started. So definitely very interesting there. Now, you did mention that you did go back, you know, face-to-face. -face. Uh, have you been back face-to-face -face for a while or doing hybrid for a while? Yeah, so um, during uh, March one year ago, we went full virtual um, with um, um, an adjusted schedule, minimal content, minimal student contact. Um, it, here in New York, we start school after Labor Day. So in September, we came back to our classroom with uh, the hybrid model. So half of our students at home, half of them uh, in the classroom, and we were required to teach synchronously whether or not they're in front of us physically or virtually, all together. Um, so this year has been um, pretty much that, the whole year, uh, a hybrid model of instruction, uh, which unfortunately anchors the educator to um, a device or a space where students can see them uh, and the students in the room can hear them. So it's, it's, uh, it's I, don't, I don't know that it's the best, I, I know it's a Band-Aid. Um, I worry it's really not the most effective model uh, for both audiences. There are very good ways to be a virtual teacher and very good ways to be a face-to-face -face teacher. Um, I'm not sure that mixing the two is very product is super productive. Oh, I see. And yeah, that's very interesting that you mentioned that, you know, because that's a, the model that we're seeing pretty much uh, in a lot of the school districts, at least here that I've seen, I'm pretty sure that uh, all around the nation and even across the world, you know, seeing that model. But like you mentioned earlier, I think that that is something that's, um, you know, being anchored, like you said, you know, I know that in a traditional classroom setting, or at least when everybody's face to face, we always wanted the teachers to be able to move around. And yeah. of course, now it's it's become very difficult. Now, what are some of the, the challenges or at least maybe, well, for you, you know, like you mentioned, you feel you're anchored. But other than that, what do you what are some of the other challenges that you may see or responses or feedback that you're getting from your students? you know, whether the they're at the elementary level or I'm sorry, at the, you know, both collegiate, because I know you mentioned you do collegiate as well. And mm -hmm. of course, uh, you know, with your uh, students as well within the school's district. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, a clear comfort that occurs when you're given the option to stay home and not get out of bed early. And the option to, to just kind of roll over and turn on the, the webcam and be in class. Um, that um, option, um, even though it's a, against our nature for many of us as, as learners, uh, is taken by a lot. Um, my university class this fall was hybrid, um, half and half until the end of the semester. The very last class was one student and myself in the room with 20 people at home online um, because of choice. Um, this current semester, again, at a different uh, university, um, I gave my students a choice and said, look, if half of you are here, I'll be here. If it's less than half, then we'll go back to virtual. Um, still hybrid, and I, I keep getting thank yous from students who are in both situations. Um, you know, if they have an autoimmune um, issue, that getting in the classroom right now face-to-face -face is not serving their needs. Um, so again, while, while it's not the most effective model, um, it's, it's, it's kind of what we're stuck with in many, in many cases right now until we revisit um, this at an institutional level. Uh, now, what do you? What are the talks right now currently, as far as possibly what this following school year will look like? Uh, you know, for you. Well, the classroom, my my K twelve classroom, middle school, we're talking potentially of going to a four to one model, where four of them will be face to face, and we'll have one virtual class. Um, that, like many schools right now, it's hard to be overly critical. Honestly, it's it, it seems to be shifting uh, by the day. But right now, that's that's what I'm hearing. For the university, I'm hearing a push for face-to-face. -face. Um, you know, universities, part of the way they make money is uh, on-campus housing. It's almost like its own little city. Um, so when they have these universities that have, you know, students virtual, it's an entirely different business model. So they're incentivized in a different way than public education to get students back in the room. Excellent. Well, Micah, thank you so much for sharing your experience right now currently, because I know that for a lot of teachers that are out there either watching or listening, 
sometimes they may think like, am I the only one doing this, you know, but to be able to hear like, you know, this experience from other educators such as yourself, both at the collegiate level and at a school district level, I mean, at least they could feel like, well, I mean, well, I'm not alone here. And at least being able to hear what other models are out there, what other things could be happening. So thank you so much for sharing that. So now let's uh, move on a little bit now that I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your projects. You know, I as I mentioned earlier, you know, or we're going to talk about Ready Learner One. And I must say that, you know, just to give a backstory to all our audience members, the first or one of the first times that I actually connected with Micah, or at least knew who Micah was, was because of my passion and love for augmented reality. And of course, in follow on Twitter, you know, following, you know, hashtag ARVR or ARVR and EDU. I mean, you can find so many people there that are doing some amazing things. And that's how I also uh, learned about Micah and started following him and doing the work that he and following the work that he does along with that. And then, of course, all of a sudden I see like Ready Learner One. I'm like, wow, what's this? So, Micah, tell us a little bit about Ready Learner One and where where that that came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much time do we have? I, I'm just gonna. Keep going. <laughs> um, so, Ready Learner One. The the story um, has has to do with uh, three people. So, Christine Lyon Bailey, uh, Jesse Lubinsky, and myself. So, the three of us working um, somewhat independently in similar circles on exciting ed tech projects. Um, for for me, um, I had been working with augmented reality for my Google Innovator project. Um, I've been working with um, um, geolocation-based augmented reality, so so think geocaching, but with augmented reality. And so uh, experimenting with how do I do this with kids? We we in my classroom we plotted a cemetery down the road from our school, and we uploaded it into um, a AR spatial software, so you could look through your phone at headstones and click on them, um, and it was based on being there physically. So. Um, it's a form of augmented reality that gets me the most excited. It's getting up and going, which became popular with Pokemon Go uh, after my work, of course. <laughs> I, I, like, I like to think I inspired Pokemon Go, but you know that's not true. Um, I had done some writing here and there about my work, and um, Steve Bambury um, in um, the Middle East uh, reached out to me about a blog post and said, would you write one? So I drafted something, and... Um, he said, you know, the name, the, the title of this needs some work. How about Ready Learner One? I said, Steve, that's great. And from, from thenceforth, Steve, as he says, bequeathed to me Ready Learner One and um, started to take it to the next level by um, seeking out people like you that are in the AR and VR space and asking them for stories. Uh, Jesse Lubinsky and I uh, spoke and Jesse was like, this is great. I said, look, I'm so busy. I had just finished my first book, Wanderlust EDU. And I was swamped. So I said, Jesse, let's work on this together. I know it would be better, and it probably wouldn't happen if, if I did this by myself. Um, so Jesse, of course, he is uh, the Energizer Bunny, man. He just took off, and, and things started to accelerate. But we, there was a missing component. And um, one of the people we had talked to very early in some planning was Christine Lyon Bailey. And Christine said, well, I'm working on a book. And we're like, well, we're working on a book. So we worked on a book. The book originally was called Ready Learner One, um, but then as we started to build out the book, um, we started to speak with industry professionals. Christine particularly had some connections with some companies that were manufacturing products, um, but they weren't educators. So there was a clear gap. A tr a tr I, I like to think of it as a translator, someone who, who like the Lorax speaks for the trees, you know, who is speaking for the educators. And so um, Christine and Jesse and I decided, you know, this is a gap and we want to address this gap um, particularly in augmented and virtual reality is where we started. Um, so we formed the company Ready Learner One, and we shifted the name of our book to Reality Bytes. And so Reality Bytes is a, a compilation, there it is, of amazing educators telling stories about using AR and VR in the classroom. We wanted the stories to be first, not how-tos, because this technology changes so incredibly rapidly. While the hardware becomes more and more accessible, the software shifts and changes. So it's like uh, if you've ever done a Google, uh, worked with Google products and you open it up and you're like, wait a second, where did that button go? Or this one's, this shiny new button is new. Maybe I should click that. Well, that happens in AR and VR quite a bit. So again, we put stories first in Reality Bytes 
and we built a framework for uh, helping people have a common vocabulary around augmented and virtual reality experiences. And we call that our XR ABC framework. Yeah, and that's one thing that I really, and uh, all our audience members, anybody watching, if you do have an opportunity to please make sure that you do get this book, Reality Bites. It is a great, great story, uh, actually book, because what Michael was talking about is the stories that you hear about educators. Now, for somebody that may be new to augmented reality or maybe just be just a little hesitant, a book like this would be wonderful because you get to hear genuine stories from educators that are out there that are using this technology and you get to read about them. But not only that, what I loved about this, like Michael was mentioning, is that at the end of every chapter, and I'm going to go ahead and demonstrate this here, they have the XRABC toolkit. And for example, here at the end of the that little chapter section of reading, they give you a little scan code there that you can get. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, you've got the ISTE standards, you've got the five E's, you've got the four C's, you've got the ISTE standards for students, SAMR model right here, all of that information for anybody, any teacher that is just interested in or wanting to dive in. This is a great book. Like I said, it great stories and they offer so many great resources. And not only that, but it really is a lot of fun. And what I mean by that is you can actually, you know, scan the codes here and you'll actually see Micah, you'll see Jesse, and you'll see Christine pop up here, and they'll actually be talking to you and greeting you. And it's a great interactive book where you can read it, you interact with it, you learn it, and then you can put it into practice. So, I mean, I really, really appreciate this book a lot, Micah, and the work that you and Jesse and Christine have done. It's been amazing. So what has been some of the, how about for yourself and maybe a comment or two, maybe people that have reached out to you after reading this book, what have you heard, you know, as far as uh, feedback from the book? Yeah, people have been, have been excited about the approachability of the book. You know, there, there's a lot of geeks out there who, who were, were innovators. And if you know the bell curve of adoption of, of innovation, innovators are a little bit out there. We're the, the gamers who try things out and we take the leap and then ask, should we have jumped? Um, not everybody is, is, has that mindset. Some want to see practice first and see success first. And that, that's much more common. So what we wanted to do in this book is to make it approachable, but also uh, allow people to stretch their practice a bit by seeing exemplars of, of people using Google Translate, a form of augmented reality to better meet the needs of their learners or to take their students in a, a virtual lab using something like Labster and blowing up chemicals in a safe space. I mean, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. And and like you, uh, one of the things that you mentioned a lot of times, it's you get to see an experience or the students get to see an experience. A lot of these great things that maybe they may not have an opportunity to do. And the technology is advancing so much where, you know, now schools, if they don't have to actually dissect a, a frog, right. they can, you know, simply view it in, you know, virtual reality and you get that same effect. And again, you don't have to spend on the frog. And of course, you don't have to, you know, get that the formaldehyde smell and all that stuff and all that ickiness, but you can just see it and, you know, experience the, yeah. the same thing in just a nicer, neater, cleaner package and content. So those are some of the things that are great. So now you mentioned something about the, the adoption curve. And mm -hmm. it's so funny that I did have this bookmarked here on this other book. Hey, there was <laughs> so, that book. Yeah. So, and then of course I see this and I actually had that bookmarked and I was like, wow, he just mentioned that. So it's a great way. So talk to us a little bit about Wanderlust EDU, Micah. Well, first of all, you have a vintage copy there. Um, there yeah, is a, there is a new book cover. If anybody hops on Amazon, you'll see it. Um, uh, I have a nice poster in my classroom of that cover. I think it makes a fantastic poster. Um, the, the book Wanderlust EDU is a book about your why. Um, so I talk about innovation, I talk about change, I, I form it as an adventure, but it's a reminder of our why, it's a reminder of um, the common relationship that technology and education has had for hundreds of years. This is not new. And I try to prepare ourselves for talking about uh, technology with uh, colleagues, with students, with parents, with admins, uh, and framing it in a way that's relatable. For example, I talk about the pencil being a form of technology. So 
Think of the first teacher when they were going to use this this pencil in the classroom. It took Chicago City Schools 100 years to decide we're going to use a pencil in our classroom. Now, that's just because we know about Chicago. I'm sure the rest of the country was the same, but that's where the data is. So when teachers use this, they said, you know, how am I going to keep it sharp? What are the students going to do with it when I, when I give it to them? How am I going to monitor their progress? How am I going to assess their needs? The same thing we've done with tablets and, and Chromebooks. How am I going to keep it powered? What are they going to write when I give them this device? How am I going to keep track of it? How am I going to use behavior management? And so all these problems are, are, are relatable to our, our teaching ancestors. It's been happening for years. And, and so I talk about that, but also ways of um, um, helping yourself with professional growth, some strategies, including the SAMR model, some TPAC, and then understanding where are we going in the future? You know, what's our future of work? What's our, uh, how do we think about preparing students for their future rather than perpetuating our past? And I think that that's hard to take a step back, but um, that's where the adoption curve comes in. Yeah. Now, as far as future of work and getting there, where do you see the future of work headed right now, at least through your eyes? And of course, as a researcher, you know, also as well, and being on top of, you know, the ad tech game, what is it that you're seeing right now as far as the direction? Well, really, uh, really quite fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I've, I've been um, practicing it quite a bit. Um, before the pandemic, you know, a lot of conversation about the future of work being, I think they said 40% gig based by 2021, but that statistic was done in 2018 and it was based on uh, where we thought the future was going. So here we are trial by fire. Now, we, now we've done um, um, asynchronous, synchronous, virtual, hybrid, we've done it all. So when the dust settles, what are we going to do? We're seeing um, some positive stuff, people being highly productive at home, but not knowing when to turn the switch off. That's dangerous, right, for, for mental health. Uh, we've seen um, people um, lose a sense of, of uh, connect, connection and which fosters creativity. Um, depending on how you operate, you know, if you are a coder, you might prefer to be alone, not to stereotype coders, but I've heard that from coders saying I would prefer to be alone. And I've heard creatives say, if I had the choice, I'd be back in the office because I need to be around people. You know, it's an introvert, extrovert kind of thing about how we work best. So I, 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 it's interesting. You know, I've heard, heard about REI, a big uh, outdoor uh, equipment company, starting a huge facility in Seattle before the pandemic, building a brand new facility, and then selling it off because they realized we can be productive in a different way. We don't need this new brick and mortar structure. So for the future of work, you know, our students are, are learning about themselves in an accelerated rate. They're learning about how they work best. They're learning about time management in, again, um, unfortunately, a trial by fire type way. And I think for teachers, we're learning about a few things. Um, I guess I'm shifting gears a little bit, but one of the things I'm worried about in education is we have tasted automation. We've tasted using tools that grade for us quickly and things that we can put in front of students that gives instant feedback. And not that those are bad. I think some of them are fantastic. However, we have to take steps back when the dust settles and look at this as what's best for our learners. Sometimes automation, although feedback is instant, it's not always the most personal narrative, which will lead to learner growth. And all of that is synced to the future of work where our learners are going to be in a place where automation is going to make some of their jobs faster, but the humanness, the creativity, the dialogue, we have to grow that skill set, the empathy. Yeah, and no, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, we've been uh, having some, or at least I've been listening to similar conversations as well, and even questions from, you know, just people in higher ed and in some of the courses that I've taken and, and asking about the future of, you know, um, artificial intelligence in the classroom. And, you know, uh, to me, it always comes back to that that personal touch that, you know, you can get that feedback immediately, but how are you building a relationship? You know, right. that takes, it's it's that person, that contact, that collaboration, the, the speaking, and like you said, just that human aspect of being able to just share and, and uh, tell stories, you know, and things of that sort. And then that, you know, would be something terrible to, to miss, but, you know, we'll see where that goes. But uh, so 
Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, professional development. As we're talking a little bit here, um, you were, we were talking a little bit also about Changemaker. Tell us about that, you know, a little bit more. Yeah, so like I said, you know, at our Heart Ready Learner One, we started in the augmented and virtual reality space, very excited about it. Before the pandemic, we had some, some great leads and some projects all queued up. And, you know, the pandemic um, changed a lot of things for a lot of companies. So we, we uh, pivoted our business model to focus on serving uh, educators uh, and uh, the corporate training space. We have, we have two branches, corporate and, and K-12, of course, in higher ed. Um, but in the education space, we wanted to meet um, educators where they were and, and provide them with what they needed. So we partnered with a, a, a longstanding uh, organization called the Madison Institute, uh, TMI Education, Dr. Brian Chinney um, in New Jersey. And um, Dr. Chinney had uh, started a consortium model where he was providing schools access in the New Jersey area to um, really high-end uh, professional development opportunities where schools could chip in together to be able to access it instead of trying to pay for the, the edu-famous people or highly most highly qualified uh, individuals uh, out of pocket. So that pooling of resources model is what we have amplified um, by joining forces under what we call the Changemaker um, uh, model. Uh, so changemakeredu.org is the, the website that um, shows our offerings. Um, we launched a conference in July of last year, um, the Changemaker Conference, and we had 2,000 registrants from 33 different countries. Um, we view that as a success, um, especially for a short turnaround and using that to launch this brand of Changemaker. Uh, since then, we've um, developed a platform where educators can have access to highly, highly, highly uh, qualified and vetted professional development uh, anytime, anywhere. So they can download the app from the iOS or Google Play App Store, um, or they can visit the, the website dashboard and take these courses with, again, some of the best trainers on the planet and uh, get their professional growth. Um, it's, a, it's an impressive uh, platform. Um, it's a, an impressive offering. We're very proud of it, and it just continues to grow. We've got uh, educators on there daily, taking courses, growing, earning certificates of attendance, um, and um, a lot of really positive feedback and so much more momentum, it just keeps going. Oh, that is great. And right now, I mean, it's as far as professional development, you know, the ability now that I think, and, and if we can talk a little bit about that, because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is as yourself, you know, being a, just a very innovative person, very active, in the education landscape and in the, pretty much in the ed tech world too as well. You know, my question to you is, what do you do for yourself too as well to stay on top of, of everything, to stay on top of your game per se? Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, been, a, that's been a challenge because it's, it's a, there's a wide net. You know, you, you think ed tech and you think education and professional development and, you know, education and professional development is not only ed tech. We're talking about SEL, mental health, we're talking about the legal side. There's, there's so much that we all need growth in as educators. So it's really about tapping into experts. You know, our, our Ready Learner One team is, is, a, is a powerhouse. We've got an amazing team of educators um, that are, are constantly growing with each other and informing each other and um, leaning on other people has been really important. And understanding, you know, for Micah, what what are what are my skills? What what do I what what's my expertise? So instead of trying to be the jack of all trades, um, what am I trying to master? And so what am I trying to offer the community? And so you know, augmented virtual reality have been important to me, um, but also I, I've also spent time in um, trying to help educators understand themselves as change agents, and that mastering a tool or a content. It is no longer a skill. The skill is mastering change. And so how do we master change? And so I've done some writing about that as well as my, my journey in the classroom um, to try to help people uh, embrace a, a practice or a pedagogy of iteration and what I call innovativeness. Well, let's talk a little bit about that uh, because that's something that really resonates with me. And especially, you know, like I said, coming from a different background from a business side into education. And for myself, it, it was, uh, I think the best advice I got was when I was teaching in Arizona, there was a former Marine and one day he, we were having a talk 
And he just said the phrase, you know, it's it was improvise, adapt, and overcome. And that, you know, for the last, I want to say, eight years is really has been my phrase when I've been in the world of education. As things change, you know, as things come down, you know, whether it's from central office, the state level, from the national level, and, and like you said, change happens. As teachers, we need to know how to improvise, adapt, and overcome to those changes because oftentimes we can be very, very comfortable with our practice. I mean, especially if we've done it for so many years. And like you said, you know, you, they, they've mastered that class because they already have all the notes. They know what works for them. And it's pretty much, you know, they're teaching the same class for 20 years, you know, or the same way for 20 years. So what are some ways, maybe if, if you don't mind sharing some of your best um, advice to teachers, and especially now where they've definitely had to have a little bit of that improvising, adapting, and overcoming? Yeah, I mean, I, I, a, I love the way you talk about that. I, I have, you know, I've mastered cleaning the head on a VCR with an alcohol swab, but it turns out that doesn't matter anymore. You know, used to make mixtapes. Well, I don't make mixtapes, but, but... I can craft a music list. You know, I did that with CDs for a while. Then I can craft that music list in collaboration with Spotify. So some of those skills are relatable. Some of them we just have to throw away. Um, early in my career, I would invest in uh, robust activities that I believed I could reuse every single year. Um, that's out the window now. Now it's like, okay, what, do I, what can I use right now if I can't use it next year, I'm not worried about that. I want to use what's the best right now for my students. Uh, the sustainable activity is not important. I'm not talking about sustainability, but you know the activity itself, whether or not it's uh, available next year, if this website's going to go down, it doesn't matter. It's about the here and now, and it's about working with uh, the best that we have right in front of us with an understanding that um, the, the, the years that, that come, it's going to require more change from us, you know? I think one advantage that I've had myself as an educator is uh, I had career and goal and personal plans that um, are not in alignment with being in the industry for 21 years. So I, I literally, I kid you not, I write about a little bit in Wanderlust. I would I would treat each year like it was my last, like this this is it. So all right, let's go in and you know, other other than thinking I could reuse something in a different context, I really just try to think about. Um, this could be my last year. And, and what I saw was that that benefited me not as much with my, my classroom activities, it benefited me in my relationships. So with my students, it was more focused on right now, right here, who we are as people and uh, giving voice and choice to them in the moment as much as possible. Oh, and I think that's wonderful. And I know Pili right here, she did mention, uh, she did mention it says, I do repeat activities, but always with a new twist. I mean, there's always different yeah. iterations. And of course, you change, you pivot, and and that one thing yes. that you you mention a lot, and I, I've heard that that word come out, you know, during this conversation several times, is that it's okay to pivot, it's okay to change, you know. Oftentimes, you may be going in a, in a certain direction, and you know, you have to kind of change things as it does as you would with any lesson. Sometimes you've got the the wonderful lesson planned, you've got it set up the day before the night before you go in and then something happens and it's kind of like uh so you'll have to learn how to pivot so being yeah. being able to be in the there and now and sometimes you know it's okay to be vulnerable and i think you know for a lot of teachers it's they're just very scared to kind of look like you know oh my goodness like i didn't know how to do that it, right. it happens we're only human but you know it's just one of those things that it's very important i think like you, you mentioned you hit the nail on the head on on a lot of those points and i remember too making mixtapes and being a master at that too as well <laughs> <laughs> you raise a really good point and you know we do have this feeling uh, as educators that we have to be the master of the classroom uh, meaning it needs to be polished and clean a perfect performance every time but but what i've been thinking about this is a dad i have three kids and my three children, when I, you know, get mad at the dishwasher or something, they don't see the best of me, unfortunately. But I think about that as an educator. If um, I fail in front of my students and I think it's okay to fail in front of my students, I'm teaching them rigor. I'm teaching them agency. I'm teaching them, yep, this didn't work. Let's figure something out together. Instead of put your heads down while I figure this out. I mean, 
failure is going to happen. We have to accept that. And that shouldn't prohibit us from trying new things. Uh, we just have to be prepared with the understanding that it could directly lead to real growth in our students as people more than in the content area. And so I try to relate that to my children here at home and I, you know, calm down with the dishwasher doesn't function. I'm getting better. There you go. And so I have a Dr. Maria Elena Corbey who's joining us. It says here, when learners are giving voice and choice, it's always a different activity. I'm always in awe of how our learners make the projects their own and what they create. So that, yeah, that's so good. And I, and I and I saw that uh, Pile had a similar comment about reusing. Don't get me wrong. I teach one thing five times a day. That's my current prep for American history, social studies. Uh, and I have activities and styles of activities that I reuse because the learners in front of me are different every time and it changes every time. So the point I was raising about not reusing is um, was more related to whether or not it will this tool will be available in the future. Yeah, and that's very true because sometimes those tools either the district won't buy them again for the following year or yeah. they just won't be around. And uh, so those are some of the things that, you know, in other words, just not be dependent on that. But I wanted to touch a little bit more like what you're saying as far as as failure. And, and I had a discussion about this about a week ago. It was a group of us and we we're talking about failure and what what that looks like or what it can do, you know, and other people, uh, you know, the consensus was, you know, it's failure is, is always going to be there. But we're trying to see if there's a different way of reframing that because of course you hear failure it's a you it's such a negative connotation and then of course you hear you know uh first attempt in learning you then you hear sale and second attempt in learning and you know things of that sort and just kind of trying to reframe those things but you know like i said one of the things that i was talking to you about earlier prior you know to the show was me ringing the fail bell and yeah. You know, and and for those of you that may not be familiar with that is, you know, you're going through your Google Innovator project uh, when you hit that pivot point. In other words, OK, you're going in one direction, but now it's like, yikes, you have to pivot. It It's kind of like now my project is changing. So it, they, they call it the fail bell. But I, I, I was uh, sharing this with them as well. I said, you know, it was very interesting that when you have a group of educators and friends that understand what it is that you're going through as many of us through the innovator academy and they hear that you rang the fail bell i was like i had so many people cheering me on and they were just like wow this is great and and you don't hear that you know sometimes it's like oh man i failed the test it's like ooh, you failed the test or you know it's just got that negative connotation but here you make a pivot and people celebrate it and you know it's it's part of even us as educators, you know, it's okay to pivot. It's going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, the example. You know, it's a biblical example of of refining as gold, refining as pure as gold, and how mm -hmm. you know if we really want to be the best we can be, uh, we have to be tested, we have to be tried, we have to go through a fire that brings our impurities uh, to the top. Learning rigor, learning stick tuitiveness, learning agency. We're not born with those as much as we'd like to think we are. Those are things that we learn through failure. And, you know, some of the best teachers I, I, I've worked with have failed. Um, teachers that um, have struggled in life at many different things. Um, but some teachers are, were excellent students. And so they became teachers. And that's great when they're modeling good practice. Um, but it's also important to know and understand failure. I, I think it helps us relate to our students in a whole new level. Yeah, most definitely. And then we have Dr. Rene Corbet. So I guess you notice we, we I have both Dr. Maria Elena, wife, and of course, Dr. Rene Corbet also here joining us. Thank you so awesome. much Hello. for joining us today. And so he says here, we can learn as much and possibly more from failure as you can from getting it right the first yeah. time. And then he, so he says here, if everything in education is high stakes, students will never take chances and get out of their comfort zones. So, yeah, I'll, I'll start. I will frankly tell my students, there's a good chance this lesson's going to fail, but we're going to try it anyhow. I'll say, you probably can't get this right the first time. Let's give it a shot. Just set them up. It's safe. It's a safe place to try it out. When I, when I grade student work, when I grade their projects, if you will, I grade process. The end product, it's great. I like the end product. I want it complete. But process is what we grade because the process is where the powerful learning takes place. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that I mention a lot is 
you know, going through grade school and everything becoming standardized and just sitting there. And it everything to me growing up was it's either A through E or F, H, J, K, whatever the answer choices were that. And I and I do mention this, that when I finally went for or, you know, followed my master's degree and went into the program, the program, uh, there was never a semester exam. There was never a test. It was here is a problem mm -hmm. or find a problem related to your field and find a solution to it. And of course, the professors walk you through the steps. Of course, they give you a rubric. But in the end, you're turning in a project. But along the way, they're looking at that process. So my final project was really a portfolio of all the projects that I had submitted. And but don't get me wrong to me, this was like, like, what do you mean when they said, you mean I can, I can choose what I want to do? And yeah, you can. Wait a minute. Like, are you sure? Like, and I was stuck because yeah. that's the that's the route. That's how I was. That's how I learned. But then yeah. after that, it, it was like, oh, wow. So that same practice, you know, it's something that is magical in the classroom when you can see the, the process and and you see the multiple modalities of learning styles that you have our students or, or, or the way they learn, the way they they solve things. And so, again, this last Saturday, you know, our, our guest, Amanda Messia, said, you know, she saw a quote and says, you know, our students aren't standardized, but yet we give standardized tests. Right. So, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will um, I will tell you that when I was younger, I had a ro more romantic view where I would say, you know, pick what you want and write about however you want or, or pick a medium you like. And a lot of students struggled with the complete absence of structure. So it does depend on our learner, the age of our learner, um, the context of our learner, um, the content they're learning, the skill set they have. We just have to know them. It's about relationships and knowing what they can handle and setting them up for success um, is really what we want to do, not, not setting up for gotcha moments where we can prove they were wrong. Excellent. Awesome, Micah. So let me know just right now, what are you curious about right now? What What is going on through the mind of Micah as far as maybe next projects or maybe some research that you're doing, things that you're saying, hey, maybe I, you know, I can do something here in this area. You know, what what's what's the future for for Micah right now? Well, I'm all over the place, but um, <laughs> the one that's kind of clean and down the middle, uh, a recent publication I wrote was on a globalized curriculum. So how do we as uh, human beings, rather than Americans, Canadians, and Mexicans, how do we as human beings start to speak about education and how do we prepare our students for their future globally as global citizens in an increasingly smaller world? Um, in the paper, I, I actually argue that a STEM focused might not be the future. While I value STEM, that's a very capitalistic, economically driven model for making nations stronger economically, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, but preparing our students for the future, I think the uh, sustainable development goals, the SDGs from the United Nations are really gonna be helpful in guiding that practice. Um, thinking more of humanities as the glue, the storytelling that syncs up um, these conversations from the sciences and math fields. And that's what I'm excited about is this global curriculum and guiding uh, our conversations at a global level around student growth and making the planet better for them on, on this Earth Day. It's like you set me up for an Earth Day quote. There you go. That is awesome. And so what I'm going to do too, Micah, because you did share this with me, and I think that this is just phenomenal. I'm going to pop in a link here into our chat. And then, of course, tell us a little bit about this video. I, I am going to queue it up. Um, just that so we won't watch the whole thing, but sure. let me go ahead and queue this up and you can kind of talk us a little bit about as far as what's going on here now that you mentioned Earth Day. Well, there's me walking to school. There's me talking. No. So um, I, I worked with um, Google Earth, the Google Earth team. Um, I invited them into my classroom. These, this is my room. These are my students. We worked on um, some storytelling um, about our community, about pollution, about um, industrial waste in our community and how we have worked as a community to resolve some of that and try to paint a picture of what was and what is um, a story of hope that as you'll hear from my learners, I love hearing them talk. They talk about 
Um, maybe somebody else, it was the cutest thing, a kid's like, maybe somebody else in a different part of the world has a polluted lake like we did. And maybe they'll see that they can fix their lake like we did. And it's it's the best. It's so that it's a genuine narrative. Um, the kids get me so excited. And um, this was a real privilege to be part of and to amplify their voices uh, at, a, at a global level. And so I don't know. This is this is real. As silly as it looks, and as the kids look like it's staged and they're nodding, it's a genuine experience. And I hope you get a chance to check it out. Yes, guys, please make sure you do check it out. It is a great video. And Micah, thank you so much. I mean, I can see, you know, the kids just being engaged in your classroom and definitely the passion that you have when you gave that big old high five. And I, <laughs> I know for sure, like that, that's definitely not stage because this is yeah. definitely the type of person that you really are as, as uh, you know, like I always say, you know, I, I, I see, look up to you also as an education leader, but as a mentor and as a friend as well, because I get to learn so much from you and in in our PLF, being part of my professional learning, personal learning family is something that's great. And uh, so thank you so much, Michael, for everything that you shared here today. And of course, if you haven't, make sure that you check this out. Of course, there's a new cover, but I got the, the old cover, but it's also signed. All right. <laughs> but anyway, so make sure you pick up Wonderlust, guys. And also, please don't forget about Reality Bites as well. And there's also the eSports playbook as well, that one right there. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you visit Micah at Ready Learner One. Check out their site. Follow him on Twitter. And again, reach out to him. And thank you so much, Micah, for being here. Um, our audience members, please don't forget also, if you can, just... Uh, go by and visit our site. You know, you can check out all the rest of the episodes that we have. Today is episode 59. We're getting so close to 100 episodes. A year ago, April 10th, was our very first episode with Dr. Corbet, who was actually asking one of the questions here today. Awesome. So thank you so much. But uh, we'd appreciate you guys if you come by and you check out and maybe rate our show also. Leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you just want to drop us a line, you can give us a con or contact us. Let us know how we're doing. I, I'm always wanting to grow. I want to know you. I want to know all my audience members. What can we do? What can we continue doing? And just it, always working to stay on top of things and bring you the best as we always try and do every week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And also, please don't forget to check out our merch as maybe, you know, get your future conference wear. You want some comfortable shirts, you can come and check them out here, you know, so that way you can wear them at the future conferences that you'll be presenting at, whether it's live or even virtual. Hey, pick yourself up a shirt. We definitely appreciate your support. And again, thank you so much, everybody, for making my EdTech life what it is. And, you know, it's always an honor to be here sharing my passion, but most importantly, sharing our guests' passion so you get to know them you get to know where they're coming from, that they are real, genuine, hardworking people just like yourself that are just, you know, doing some great things for the community. And hopefully also by you listening to our shows, it'll it'll spark that, that or continue fanning that flame, I should say, in education to continue doing what you're doing. So, Mike, again, thank you so much, sir, for being wow. here. I really appreciate you. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. Uh, all right, guys. And until next time, my friends, don't forget... Stay techy.